when you think we're good, as in we have enough content, then we clearly don't have enough content. I agree. Um, we, we, if the content is just us, we're in real trouble. I think the best content, quite frankly, is what's in these cans sitting beside us right now as we record tonight from the nation's capital. At least one of the cans. It's a nice Molson Fireside available at the beer store in LCBO right now. How do you like that? It's free pub. All right, Paulie, there's your intro. And now we can actually start the podcast. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Well, this is what you call promise of performance. If it's one thing that we said that we would do with this podcast, it is take you on the road with us wherever we go. And for the second time this season, we did it first from North Bay. Here we are in a hotel room on a Thursday night recording the latest episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast. In our nation's capital, where else would you rather be on a Thursday night? I'm excited for tomorrow because we have all day tomorrow before the game tomorrow night against the 67s for the Rangers. And uh, I've never been to Parliament Hill, so I want to go take a walk around. Apparently, there's some guy that just got reelected. Maybe he's going to be around Parliament Hill doing his job. Has he been doing his job for foot? Never mind. Oh. I kid, I kid. We're not getting into politics. Uh, I think he's done a fine job. Regardless, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. It's uh, it's a big game for the Rangers coming up in a big test in the 67s. Rangers won at home against Ottawa earlier this year in a come-from-behind win. Um, and there's someone on that 67s team that is going to have something to say in tomorrow's game, I believe. What's his name? Uh, rhymes with Schmo Schmarafa. <laughs> I kid. Joseph Gareffa, in just his second game as a 67, will be taking on the Rangers who he played for for four years. He's a big story because of the way it all went down with him, of course, expected to be returning for an overage season in the OHL, deciding he was going to try the pro route, and here he is now back in the Ontario Hockey League. We're going to talk about him, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really looking forward to, well, we've got something to talk about, too pretty interesting story that's developing with the scoring race this year if you can call it a scoring race 10 games in but there's some numbers up right now and then we've got a feature interview this week with somebody i I remember this because we were in saginaw last week so we're taking you on the road with us and poper talks to this kid whose name like not just nickname i would think it's nickname no the kid introduces himself answers to goes by t-bone and Pope said, Farzi, you got to listen to this interview. And so I did. And you're going to get to hear it later in this podcast. Poper calls this kid the most interesting player he's ever met in the Ontario Hockey League. So to every other player that we might talk to between now and May, notice served by T-Bone in Saginaw. And even just for fans of this game, trust me, the story is ridiculous. Ridiculous, And the names this kid is going to drop on you, the reason he decided to take up hockey, I mean, we all would have, incredible stuff. T-Bone Cod. <laughs> He's a T-Bone kind of guy. There's just so many Seinfeld references I want to make because of the infamous episode of George trying to give himself the nickname. And uh, in T-Bone's instance, a little teaser, his dad always wanted uh, a nickname like T-Bone, and he always liked it. So his first son, as soon as he was born his nickname and from there on he was known as t-bone from the moment he was born so we'll hear from t-bone cod but uh for the record he's farwell i'm pope follow us on twitter at farwell underscore ohl and at underscore chris pope if you want to hear something on the podcast or if you want to interact with us you can always do so by sending us an email if that's more your speed at farwell and pope at gmail.com but farzi you were over in Almayo for a special event it's not really ohl but it is something that's affecting the hockey community Yeah, and because it's affecting the hockey community and the way the hockey community has rallied around it, we wanted to bring you that story right away on this episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast because it's just a... It's a pretty heartwarming thing that's coming out of a really awful story. So what I want you to do is just picture for a moment that you find out that your 16-year-old kid, young, strong, hockey-playing kid, has cancer. Out of the blue, no warning signs, boom, cancer and then a community wraps its arms around you and says we're going to help you through this they start a fundraiser called shooting for a cure team liam 
Google that. You can get involved. You can buy this really cool Shooting for a Cure Team Liam t-shirt for 20 bucks. You can just make a $20 donation. Liam Moyer is the young man's name. He's a student at Elmira District Secondary School in, obviously, Elmira. Plays for the Woolwich Wildcats diagnosed with cancer and I had the chance to sit down for a conversation a pretty moving and powerful conversation with Liam's dad Rob and we want to make sure you get to hear that because you of course are part of this hockey community as well trying to get you out of that arena was like uh, I think the prime minister at the very least hugs all around and uh, it must mean a lot to you Rob to have this kind of support support in this community is a uh, is just unreal you know I've lived in this town for, for 48 years, know a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that don't know me that, that want to hug or whatever. They just want to support, whether it's my son or, or this community supported other families in need. It's just tremendous how they come together. The way this community came together is how this came across my radar. Uh, Liam, a grade 11 student at uh, Elmira District Secondary, uh, a very sudden cancer diagnosis. Can you articulate in any way what that means as a father to hear those words about your teenage son heartbreaking and devastating all at the same time uh, your world has turned into something totally that you didn't expect you know as as humans we, we fight through our emotions and, and we deal with it uh, we have nothing but positive thoughts we have nothing but praise for his medical team prayer from our friends and our family and when I say friends and family I mean everyone it doesn't matter if it's the hockey community which has just been tremendous our employers both my wife and I's uh, Liam's employer is a, as a 16 year old he has a, has a part-time job at Rytech Machine and Repair and that family's just been spectacular uh, again my son's best friends and friend group are just amazing the, the fundraising that they spearheaded for him so uh, allows us to be with them 24-7. It's, it's just unreal. $10,000 in the first four days of the Team Liam hunting for a cure. I mean, unreal is the only word I can come up with. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. That's, that's community spirit, I guess. And at, at the end of the day, uh, I had a good talk with someone because it, it is hard to accept stuff like that, I, I think. You know, we don't expect it. No one expects to, to wake up uh, and eight hours later find out that your son or your, your daughter has cancer. But cancer doesn't discriminate. So the way this community did this and is it letting us uh, be with our son and, and maintain it, it again, it's, it's, it keeps me at a loss for words. A lot of tears. How did you learn about Liam's illness? Uh, two weeks ago on this Friday, so I guess 15 days ago, he came home from school and went to work. And he worked a couple hours and he came home and he said his arms were sore. Liam is a typical, you know, strong teenage boy. And uh, very social, and his, his friend group, they, they like to enjoy themselves as, as 16-year-olds and older or younger, whatever it is. And uh, he had a bit of a fever. He didn't go out Friday nights, which was odd. Saturday, he went out to a party. And he partied, but his friends did say after, he seemed a bit off. And on Sunday, he wasn't feeling that good, so we thought, well, you know, body aches and high fever. It's a flu. So on Monday, I took him to the doctor's. And the doctor just ordered blood tests and x-rays on his arms. He pinched nerve, who knows, right, what, whatever's in his blood. We got the call from our family doctor at 6.15 on Tuesday morning. It might have been the 5th of October. I'm not exactly sure of the date. And uh, they said, get him to the hospital right away to Grand River. The doctor will be waiting, the pediatric doctor. They did some testing on him. At noon, they thought it was a blood disorder, nothing major. But again, no, nothing conclusive. And at 4.30, my wife phoned me, and she said that our son had cancer. What does that word and that news uh, do to you? A lot of raw emotion. Hard to control. But uh, we had to pull it together right away for Liam. Rushed down to be by his side with his uh, younger brother. He was 14 devastating for his uh his hero and his big brother to to be sick like that then uh waited by his side until nine o'clock that night he transferred to victoria children's hospital in london the london health science center and he's been there ever since 
he's, uh, today was the end of day five, or just about now is the end of day five of his 28-day induction. Various different chemos and, and other, uh, other drugs to, to get him healthy. Steroids to, to keep him eating and to keep some, some muscle mass there and makes him a little grouchy, but, but he's allowed to be. So, What do you know about the cancer that Liam has? I know that it's a... The, the internet's not always our friend, <laughs> as the doctor told us. But we do have some, some, some numbers that say that it's got a high success rate of, of being cured. And that's over remission for 10 years. I've talked to a lot of people that I know through work or through the hockey community that have reached out and that have had the exact same thing. And some as a teenager, some as an infant, and, and you know, they've gone on to live normal lives. It's just a, a road, road bump for a roadblock for three years. So, we, you know, we think he's got a good shot. The only, the only difference is the older you are into your adolescent years, your, your teen years, it is higher risk. So he's still, the doctor said, you know, they don't give any percentages. The doctor won't do that. He said they're very positive that the treatment's going to work. But, you know, it's, it's high risk just because he's a little bit older. But there was, there was a lot of positives in it. So cancer didn't spread to his spine. So that was one good thing you take out of it, you know, when they did the spinal tap. When they did the bone marrow biopsy, that's where they drill into your hip and take a sample of your bone marrow. It's, it's a blood disease, so it's, it's born out of your bone marrow. And uh, there was only a low count of cell blasts, which were cancerous. So that's, that's another indicator that you know, things should be hopefully okay. You're wearing the Hunting for a Cure orange T-shirt here tonight, and they are everywhere around this hockey arena. Uh, how does it make you feel to look around this Woolwich Community Centre and the Dan Snyder Memorial Arena and see all of this? It warms my heart to think of how this community is pulled together in such short order. You know, this, the, these T-shirts were, were uh, spearheaded by his, his friends at school, some of his former teammates or teammates, but again, they're all just friends. And what a great group of kids and a great group of parents that back these kids up, that allow them to do this and that put the time and the effort in. Like, it's hard to believe. It really is. I heard a lot of people say as we walked out here that, uh, you know, it's going to be okay. We're going to pull through this. And there's always a we in there. I think with the entire community behind you, Rob, uh, there's, there's a better than fighting chance for Liam. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. You don't have to look too far back to realize what hockey means in Elmira. You take a look at the Sugar Kings going back even to the Woolwich minor hockey. Um, Dan Snyder. Elmira is a major hockey community. Um, It is a major community to begin with. There's, There's a lot of people that are born there, raised there, and then raised their families there. I know from experience, my mother... I was born in Elmira. My father was born in St. Jacobs. Both my uncles played in Woolwich Minor Hockey. Both went on to play for the Sugar Kings and then on to the OHL and into the pro ranks. I know how much hockey means to that community and what it does and the relationships you create and you you build on those relationships. Relationships that my family still have till this day. Tim Waters, a good family friend, uh, brought that story to our attention. So I, I, I thank Tim for that, and it's a, it's a great cause for people to get behind and uh, nothing but the best for that young kid. Yeah, again, you can just do a Google search on Team Liam shooting for a cure. You'll find the links. It's pretty easy, but $10,000 in the first four days. In the first four days. And just to put it in perspective, Elmira is a town of what, like 15,000 people? That's the whole township, I think, right? Yeah, so it's it's pretty remarkable stuff. You can contribute. Uh, find out when you just do the Google search. They made $3,000 that night just at the Elmira Sugar Kings game, which is where I was watching Kings Listowel Cyclones when I sat down there with Rob. Uh, it's It's pretty special stuff and you mentioned dan snyder of course the snyder name is synonymous with woolwich township and the town of elmira graham and luann the the patriarch and matriarch of hockey and sports in that community helped with a hockeyville bid many many years ago uh, graham's brother jeff former coach of the kitchener rangers jeff snyder and then dan of course we all know former owen sound attack and killed tragically in that uh car crash with Danny Heatley way back when. So there's a lot of history in that family and in that name in Elmira. Graham only cut me from the Sugar Kings three times, so I don't, I don't hold any <laughs> ill will against Graham. 
I kid. I ended up uh, actually playing against Elmira, and we won in their barn. So it was a nice little tip of the cap for myself winning. And the only thing Elmira raises faster than money is barns. You ever see the Mennonites raise a barn? I love it's it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the St. Jacob's Farmer's Market went up in flames one day. And, yeah, we're up for business the next weekend. Everything's fine. There's a brand new giant building out here that we put up in 36 hours. Uh, so, uh, uh, cap tip and a stick tap whatever you want to call it uh, to everybody over there doing some good work and a shout out to our friends at the sip and bite restaurant in elmira when you're there it's a place you got to stop for sure reminder he's pope at underscore chris pope on twitter i'm farwell at farwell underscore ohl on twitter email is farwell and pope at gmail.com still to come a discussion of joe gareffa coming back into the ontario hockey league i'm just going to flat out say right now called it and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But Popper, we're on the bus coming up to Ottawa here today. And you said to me, Farzi, have you looked at have you looked at the numbers? I mean, we're all looking ahead to Byfield Perfetti on Saturday, Saginaw Sudbury, the matchup of the season so far, the two players that are jostling for who will go highest in the NHL draft next June out of the Ontario Hockey League. And you've got some some pretty interesting reading you came up with. Yeah, there's already nine people with over twenty points on the season and we talk about the Perfetti and the Byfield. Perfetti's come out of no I don't want to say nowhere, but he's been on fire as of late. I think it was thirteen points in his last four games. The kid's making a statement right now. Quentin Byfield jumped out to a hot start. Arthur Kaliev picked up right where he left off. LA has to love what they're seeing from him. A guy that slipped in the draft because many people questioned his attitude or maybe his work ethic um, away from the puck. Everyone knows he can score goals. But I noticed that those two were averaging over two points a game, 2.08. And it got me thinking, what's that put them on if they were to play all 68 at this pace? It's 141, maybe 142 points. There's a decimal. Let's just say 141. Byfield's going to lose some time uh, for the World Juniors. Kaliev, probably. My question to you, I guess, is with those two players, and we can throw Perfetti in there as well, can you envision them putting up 141 points? That would be the highest point total we have seen since 2006-2007. I think that's a pretty big number. That's a huge number, and... The short answer would be no. I can't see either player putting up those numbers, and it's not to take away, it's not a knock on their talent and ability and the numbers they're putting up already. It's just that I've grown accustomed to not seeing those kinds of numbers in the league. We had to look back to, what, 15-16 to find Dylan Strom's 129 points, followed by Mitch Marner's 126. So you're still talking 10, 15 points above that pace. Those numbers, to me, sound very much like 1980s OHL slash NHL numbers when it was a far different game. So obviously these guys are putting up impressive numbers right now, but do you sustain it through the course of an entire season? I don't know. I'll tell you this much. I would love to see it, and if anybody's going to do it, these guys kind of going hammer and tong through the season, pushing one another for more, it's a lot of fun for the fans. You don't have to look that far back. 06, 07, as I mentioned, Patrick Kane put up 145 points in his lone year in this league. I think that is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Patrick Kane, Sam Gagne come in for one year, and now we're off to the show. How do you like me now? 145 points. They were on the line with Sergei Kostitsin as well in London. Those three together were absolutely tearing up the league. But, but I... I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if you tell me Quentin Byfield has two points a game in his draft year, watching what I've seen Quentin Byfield do, same with Cole Perfetti, I'd, I'd probably say yes. Let's say they play 60 games because they're going to miss some time here and there. 120 points. I don't think that's out of the realm for those type of players. I really don't. I just think it's they're really putting a stamp on the league because you expect other players that were up there like Kaliev, even Kitchener's Greg Morales, who had 99 points last year, looking at them to take the next step. These two rookies last year, now sophomores, have just said, no, (laughs) it's our time now, and we're better than you. And watching those two players, we've seen them a couple times this year. I think they're special players, and I'm thinking that it's going to be uh, with all due respect to Arthur Kaliev, it all depends on where Kaliev ends up if Hamilton decides to deal him. But I think those two players are going to be the top, and they're going to separate themselves from everyone else. And it's just going to be a glorious OHL season watching Cole Perfetti and Quinton Byfield try to better one another. 
and we'll just use this as the shameless plug right now on behalf of the league. Uh, when you see these players coming to your market, get tickets. If you're in their market, go watch them as many times as you can because it's unlikely that either will be back in this league. But we saw Quinton Byfield week two, and we're very excited. It was something, there was, a, there was an energy change in the building every time he touched the puck. Wasn't quite the same Byfield that we ended up seeing a few weeks later in Kitchener. So a little bit of a letdown for fans that may have been listening to us pump his tires and then saw that but over the course of an entire season at the end of a long road trip which the Wolves were on when they came to Kitchener these things are going to happen still worth the price of admission and I guess I just have to wrap my head around the idea that you know these guys may well put up the 130 140 points that we haven't seen in more than a decade now in the Ontario Hockey League I really liked actually when we or when I was when we were in Saginaw I talked to uh, Saginaw's play-by-play guy Joey Botano and he kind of echoed what I saw with um, Byfield and Perfetti and that they're both completely different players. Byfield is a lot more, and I use this um, description lightly, or comparison lightly, but he's a lot more like a McDavid. He gets the breakaways at least once or twice a game. He really u- utilizes his speed. Um, he's a difference maker when he has the puck, but Perfetti's more of that like lurker where his hockey sense is off the charts. He knows where he needs to be. Then all of a sudden the puck's on his stick, and it's in the back of the net. He had 37 goals last year as a rookie, but he's more of a setup guy. Like, they're two completely different players, and I like that because when you look at the National Hockey League and you talk about, let's say, the top two players in the world, McDavid and Crosby, they're completely different players. They're kind of like the byfield and um, Perfetti that we're seeing in the OHL. Two different completely styles. You have the one that's fast break, just going to grab the puck and go and you can't stop him, or the the lurker, the one that's going to put in the work like the Perfetti or the Crosby. I I just think the league is in such a great spot with those two, and it's going to be a great season. I'm calling them both for over 115 points. All this talk about Byfield, Perfetti, (sighs) it overlooks Kaliev, and that's good for me because, hey, Hunter Jones, what's up? Congratulations on your Player of the Week award in the Ontario Hockey League. I flat out called Kaliev last week, told the league they didn't have to worry about it. You're welcome. I mean, six goals, eight points in two games. I thought it would be enough. Four goals in a game that the Hamilton Bulldogs won four to one. I thought that was enough. Clearly it was not. Under Jones put up some sparkling numbers himself. Maybe Kaliev can win another Player of the Week at uh, some other point through the season. And then just to touch on one more player, because we're doing all this talk about, and rightly so, Byfield, Perfetti, the scoring race, the numbers we may very well see in the Ontario Hockey League this season. And while everybody else is watching Byfield, Perfetti on Saturday night, you and I are going to be in the arena with Shane Wright. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. I know the Kingston Frontenacs aren't much to look at this year, but Shane Wright coming in as the player with exceptional status, I'm very interested to see what he's doing on a team that doesn't have much around him. I'm with you. I want to see him too, but I want to cautious us both or anyone else that watches Shane Wright this year because I think we've been so spoiled with that person that gets exceptional status that we hold them up to such a higher level. And I think that they're big shoes coming in. You look at the people that have had exceptional status, John Tavares, uh, Aaron Ekblad, Sean Day got it, but even people talked about him, oh, he shouldn't have got it. Like He was a fantastic player. He was one of the best skaters I've ever seen in my life. And But we just ho- don't hold them up or we compare them to the other people that got it, like a Connor McDavid. Um, so I, I'm going in with expectations to see Shane Wright, but I'm also, because I saw him in the OHL Cup and in the final, he was unbelievable. He's by far the best player on the ice. You're like, yep, exceptional, give it to him. But I also think it's tough to come into a league, especially on a team like Kingston, where quite frankly he doesn't have much help to expect him to come in and be like oh well you should have three points every night you got exceptional status so if you're gonna go see Kingston and just harbor your expectations a bit he's gonna be a good player by all uh by all accounts and I hope we get to see him on top of his game tomorrow or sa- Sunday Saturday. Jeez. Yeah. It's It's just after Oktoberfest. I don't know what day it is. You know what? That's a, it's a good reminder. And it's one that I need to heed because it's funny as you're talking about that, I will not forget too soon my first viewing of Aaron Eckblad. So he played for the Barry Colts. I've been in this league in the Western Conference for my entire OHL broadcasting career. So I see the Eastern teams once and then they come to the West side. So twice a year. And the first time I saw Aaron Eckblad, I was unimpressed to say the very least and I'm like 
exceptional status. What's this guy? The next time I saw Aaron Eckblad, it was a far different story. And then, of course, we all know where, Ek- where Aaron Eckblad is now and where he deserves to be. But that first viewing, maybe he had the flu. Maybe he had trouble with his girlfriend. Maybe, he, I don't know. But I was not impressed. And I thought, exceptional what? And, of course... I was eating those words in an awful hurry, too. What's up, Aaron Eckblad? Life's fine for you, I know. I think he listens, too. Uh, a couple league notes we talked about it. Nashville watching the league quite a bit. Igor Afanasiev signs. He was one of the players that I wanted to see early in this league because when we talked to Bundy, Warren Reichel, now the head coach of Aaron Eckblad's former Barry Colts, after being relieved of his duties in Windsor as the general manager, when we talked to him last year when they made the Michael DiPietro trade to Ottawa, he said Afanasiev is going to be a big piece. If he can come if he's going to come to the Ontario Hockey League, Bundy said he he could score forty in his first year. Forty's a lot. I didn't get to see him. What did you think of Igor Afanasiev in your first viewing? Uh it didn't look out of place in the league for sure, considering he's into it for the first time. Didn't jump off the ice to me like I've seen some players do. Uh but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him electric. I wouldn't call him. You know, I wouldn't be flat out. Oh, this is one of the worth worth the price of admission guys. But is he going to score forty in this league? Probably. Is he going to do that this year? Probably not. Although it's still very early in the season, he's got lots of time left to do that. No question, he's a player. And I think one of the interesting things about him is technically we can just look at him as the player that was traded for Mikey DiPietro. And you you got to give Philip Tomasino, by the way, the other player that Nashville has opened up the checkbook for and signed to an entry level contract contract out of Niagara. But you got to give James Boyd some credit. The way he upgraded his team in Ottawa last year without giving up roster players to do it. And of course, getting Di Pietro with, yes, Afanasiev, he trades away, but Afanasiev was not going to play here in Ottawa where we sit doing this podcast tonight. So, you know, you get you, you move draft picks and a guy that wasn't going to report to you anyway, he's going to be fine in Windsor. He's going to score 40 goals in this league at some point. And the Ottawa 67s made a run to the OHL final last year without giving up that roster player and a big deal for Mikey DiPietro. They just did the same thing in acquiring overager Joe Gareffa, who steps right onto the ice and puts up three points, a goal and two helpers in his first OHL game this year. And I, I got to say, in fact, I'll, I'm just going to be brutally brutally honest with you okay this is the god's honest truth though i didn't say it on the podcast i did say on the podcast earlier this season that and i should preface this by saying i don't care what you say about me saying it joe gareff is one of my favorite players one of my favorite players to ever have covered in this game uh you know just cam jansen is one of my favorite players to cover in this game way back in the day anyway joe gareffa that guy Really enjoyed covering him, getting to know him in Kitchener. Great kid. Loved him. Tremendous talent. And I just thought he was on, he was working on bad advice because when he said, I'm not coming back to the OHL, I'm going to turn pro, I thought, yeah, but you're not. It's just, it just play another year, get in front of more eyes, earn yourself a contract somewhere if you can. If not, okay, you've done your five then you go check out your options. I just didn't understand it. The brutally honest part, and I, I swear as the day is long, <laughs> I was having a casual conversation away from the rink with somebody else who's seen more than a game in this league, and we were going, what are the odds? Like, when do you think he comes back? And I said, before Halloween, Joe Gareffa will be back. At the time, I thought he'd be back in Kitchener. Rangers don't have room for him. They ship him to Ottawa for three third-round picks. And here we are. We're going to see him in a different jersey for the first time in his OHL career tomorrow night. That's enough out of me on the Joe Graffa thing. But I'm going to I'm going to stand on called it. He just it just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for the pros yet. No, and I think we both agreed on that when he said that he was going to turn pro. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, battling a cold. Uh, I think that he would have liked to make the Ontario Reign or even the East Coast Hockey League. Um, it, it's tough, I'm sure, for Rangers fans to see Graffa leave. Um, and to go to another team. But the way it all happened, I just think it just doesn't look good, and it just doesn't smell good either. The Rangers had no choice. They had a conversation. Everyone knows. They had a conversation with impending overagers at the trade deadline last year. Do you guys want to be here? Do you want to play for the Kitchener Rangers? Is this where you guys want to be next year? Yep, yep, we want to come back here. Okay, if you guys make pro, you make pro. The Rangers aren't going to 
be mad at somebody for uh, moving on in their hockey career. They would have loved to see Greg Morales um, stay in the American Hockey League. They obviously like to have him back. He's back here now, and that. So because of that, they Joe says he's going turning pro and he's not coming back. But he tells him at the training camp, and excuse me, and then they go out and get Liam Howell, and it just kind of left Joe in in limbo. And it, I just think the how the whole thing worked out, it just doesn't doesn't look good on on Joe. It really doesn't. And I love Joe. Like I, like you said, he's one of my favorite people to come through this league. Um, he might be my second favorite interview of all time. Um, Is T Bone your first now? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> T Bone Cod coming up. Like, don't you go anywhere. He's the most interesting man in this league, hands down. T Bone Cod. Um, I just think the whole thing just doesn't. It's part of the business, I'm sure, and whether Joe actually wanted to be here or not, I don't know, or whether he actually did think that he was going to turn pro. There's no. My thing is, if I am that player and I think I'm turning pro, you don't have to say anything. Greg Morales, Riley Damiani, Liam Howell, they all thought, I want to turn pro. They didn't go into their pro camps and say, I'm going back to Kitchener or I'm going back to Guelph in Howell's, uh, in Howell's case. They went into those pro camps thinking, I'm turning pro, much like Greffa did. Greffa didn't have to say to the Rangers, I'm not coming to training camp. He didn't say it publicly, but when we got the training camp list and you see Joseph Greffa's not in, on there, your first question is, why isn't Greffa on there? Then the Rangers say he told us he's not coming to camp, he's turning pro. That's where the whole news broke. I just don't understand why you need to come out and say, I'm turning pro, I'm not coming to training camp. It, that's, a, that's a lose-lose. If you want to turn pro, go turn pro. Prove to the pro teams that you deserve to be there. You don't need to come out and say, I'm not coming to training camp because I'm turning pro. You didn't turn pro. Now you're back in this league and you're playing on a championship contender in Ottawa. I love the move for Ottawa. Um, probably not the return many Rangers fans wanted to see for a guy like Garefa, but it's not like the Rangers were going to turn around and deal Liam Howell after just trading for him for a spot for Garefa. The person to trade was Joe, and you see him moved for what he was moved for. It's a good return. I thought McKenzie's hands were a little tied because everyone knew they were going to have to move him or he was just going to sit at home, and the Rangers aren't that type of organization to make someone sit at home until January, and then you can sign somewhere. Um but Ottawa picks up an 80 point, 80 to 100 point guy, and he's already making a difference. They lost um, Hudson Wilson to Peterborough. He was the odd overager out in replace, or for Joe to replace here in Ottawa. Um, but that's a heck of a move for that 67s team that needed some um, experience up front because they do have quite a few young forwards still. So you touch on the price that. <clears throat> Uh, or for which Joe Greffa was acquired. Three third-round picks. Liam Howell comes to Kitchener for two seconds and a third. It's interesting you use the words hands-tied for Rangers general manager Mike McKenzie because I, I talked to him after the deal, and I, I asked the question in that very way. Did you feel as though your hands were tied? And he said, I wouldn't say it that way. And, uh, you know, look. Mike can answer the questions however he wants to answer the questions. But he said, I wouldn't say that my hands were tied. But he did say something really interesting that a lot of times fans in the media don't understand or don't realize everything that's going on behind the scenes in situations like this. And one of the things that Mike let me in on, and I'll let you in on now, is that Joe did still have very real pro possibilities the east coast hockey league was out there whether joe wants east coast versus ottawa 67s i'm not sure i dare i say the ottawa 67s are a better bet but there's that aspect of it and then there was also a legitimate offer in a top tier i didn't press which league but a top tier european league so that was out there too that gave joe and his agent his camp a little bit of leverage so hands tied no but the issue becomes then for mike mckenzie and the kitchener rangers i have somebody who's still on my roster other teams are showing some interest i should move him while the interest is there before he you know now if he gets if he decides you know what that top tier european lead looks pretty good then the Ottawa 67s are out three second round or three third round picks and Joseph Gareffa. At least Mike McKenzie was able to get the three thirds for him. And then, of course, it brings up the inevitable comparisons, and I'm not sure it's fair, but do you look at Liam Howell versus Joe Gareffa and say, 
is Howell worth two seconds and a third versus Joe's three thirds? I think they're different players. I think Howell brings a little bit of a different dynamic, certainly by way of his size. And oh yeah, by the way, he won an OHL championship last year. I think the size is the biggest thing. We talked a lot last year about how the Rangers needed to bulk up up front. Uh, I believe they only had one player over six foot um, on the team last year. Um, Greffa is an electric player. He brings something different every time he's on the ice. He can he can gain you the zone easily. He can break out easily. That long stretch pass we've seen him make a million times, and I'm sure we'll see in the game against the Rangers. Um, he can put the puck in the back of the net. He can be a setup guy. He, he can really do it all in this league. Um, and I hope that when he does eventually turn pro, and he will turn pro eventually, wherever it is, um, that he has the, the utmost success. Um, someone said to me, um, the other day, oh, he must have known he was going to Ottawa. They traded him, and then he was in the lineup that night. Well, he lives in Toronto. It's not that far to hop up here. And teams, once they trade for it, they want you in the lineup. Joe wants to play. Short scoot up here, and he's in the lineup. Um, I wish nothing but for the best for Joe moving forward. And I think the return that the Rangers did get, as you mentioned, you know, there were a couple teams that were asking about him, and you have this asset, and you want to utilize that asset. You don't want him sitting at home after being cut from the AHL, and then all of a sudden go off to Europe or wherever you might as well get the picks for Joe when you can and I think it's a pretty good return just not what you would have got if you would have dealt with the deadline last year well and I'll flat out say that I think (laughs) there may have been a little bit of good cop in this on the part of Mike McKenzie and the Kitchener Rangers I think I think really in some ways though Mike did not indicate such but I'll say it I think it's possible I think it's likely in fact that they did Joe Gareffa solid because they didn't have to move him they could have hung on to Joe Gareffa until January the 9th and said, you know what? You said you were coming back. You changed your mind. We still have your rights, but we've got our overage spots filled. Have fun. Sit in the press box. I don't care. They could have snookered him, and they didn't. So I think there's a little bit of that in here, too. Yeah, they also could have snookered him by trading him to another team. I'll <laughs> let you pick it, whatever team out of the league you want. Um, but they could have traded him somewhere else. Instead, they traded him to beautiful Ottawa with a 67s team that is going to be very dangerous this year. I think they did a good job. All right, let's take a look at the Saginaw Spirit, a team that's kind of starting to find its stride in the Western Conference. Uh, picked up a fourth consecutive victory last Saturday night over the Kitchener Rangers when we watched Cole Perfetti go for four points, two goals and two assists, including a shot from the circle on the power play that... I still don't think I saw. I just saw the water bottle in behind Lucas File pop up on the back of the net. It was a laser from Perfetti. We've talked about the Perfetti byfield, everything going on there. But there was another young man that you ran into and interviewed before the game last Saturday in Saginaw, and you have called him... And I don't think you were exaggerating. This may well be the most interesting player we have ever met in the Ontario Hockey League. T-Bone Cod is his name. Um, and a quick thing about T-Bone. I did some reading on him on the way up because I, I mentioned to you, how excited are you for to call someone's name T-Bone? You're like, what? And I was like, yeah, this is what uh, Davis goes by. And so I did some reading and I was like, this is the most interesting person I've ever come across. Maybe ever person let alone a player in the Ontario Hockey League there's so much to unpack here but I think we did a pretty good job while talking with T-Bone Cod so first off I see you chipped your tooth did that happen recently uh that actually happened quite early in the season it was during practice when my teammates got it and uh you know that was an early wake up coming into this league uh you know you got to pay a price and kind of like it so (laughs) I've had it for quite a while I've been trying to fix it but I just haven't gotten able been able to get into the dentist yet i mean it kind of works with a nickname t-bone uh, yeah. i'm sure you've answered this question a million times um i read up on it but where did it come from so uh my dad gave it to me long long before i was born he said that he was going to name his first uh, son t-bone so i just kind of got it so uh he he just he said that he was he i have three older sisters too so uh he he wasn't going to name them t-bone so i was the first boy to come along and I, I got chosen, so now it's just stuck ever since. There's a great story I read about your first day in kindergarten. Your mom said you shouldn't introduce yourself as T-Bone, but yeah. you decided to. What was that like? Well, I mean, it was just kind of, that was just me. That's just how I felt, and, uh, you know, I was really little back then, and I just, that's all I knew. I knew my name was T-Bone, and I just said it. And, you know, my, my mom 
was really questionable, like with the name. That's why I kind of, they kind of settled on Davis. But uh, <laughs> so I just I just kind of went with it, and here I am. I was doing obviously again some reading, and you might be the most interesting player in this league. Um, you also are quite the golf player. Yeah. How's your golf game? I'm not I'm not too bad. I mean, I try to I try to keep up with a couple other of my players on this team. Ethan Cardwell is a really good golfer, and you know I just. When I'm playing hockey, I love hockey. When I'm playing golf, I love golf. So they just both—I think—they both really contribute to each other. When you were younger, you said you wanted to be the another uh, two-sport athlete. Is there still aspirations to get out on the links professionally? Yes, I mean I want to be the first NHL hockey player to play in a PGA Tour event. Like, uh, there's a couple athletes around the world, like Steph Curry. He's played in a Web.com event. There's Tony Romo. He's gotten play, uh, sponsors exemptions into uh, PGA Tour events, and you know that's just kind of my goal. I think that'd be really neat. So that's what I'm just going to try to do every day. Is just try to get that. Are there any uh, similarities between the two sports at a high level that you kind of, if you're, when you're playing hockey, you think, oh, I could use that in golf or vice yeah. versa? So uh, you know golf mentally really is a grind i mean it's you're out there sometimes you're walking 36 in 90 90 degree heat you're just it's just a complete grind and it's just you and the ball you know you just got to be dialed in for every single shot and if you don't it could really cost you and i think that really helps with hockey just mentally on the aspect just being dialed and coming in and then um hockey really helps with golf with my power just like with the ball and um uh, around the like around the greens, hockey helps as well because you got to have good hands yeah. and stuff. So hockey really helps both sports, and golf is, contributes to hockey as well. Your dad played golf a bit. How did you get into the game? Uh, for hockey or golf? Golf. Okay, uh, he. We'll get to hockey in yeah, a second. Yeah, he got. <laughs> he was going on a trip. He actually goes on trips with a lot of the NHL GMs like Ken Holland, and he uh, he was going to Ireland, and I wanted to go with him, and I was about four or five years old and I started I grabbed one of his clubs and I started hitting like just swinging in the in the yard and my dad actually saw I actually kind of had some form and I don't know where it came from and he's told my mom to take him to the range every day while I'm gone and I'm gonna come golf with him when I get back so he came back about a week and a half later and I was hitting golf balls with him and I just took off ever since so how did you end up here in the OHL how'd you decide to play hockey well, uh, actually, going back to Ken Holland again, uh, I was we were at a hockey game and it was Thanksgiving. I think I was I was I came into the game a little bit later. I was seven, seven and a half maybe, and uh, it was Thanksgiving, and um, there was we we're really close with the Hollands, and his two daughters were downstairs, and we came to like the wives' room after uh, after the game, and uh, Johan Franzen's fiance and Henrik Zetter's wife. Uh, came up to me and they and they started stroking my hair and uh, they this is actually a true story like I'm not kidding like they started stroking my hair and they, in their Swedish accents they started saying like oh Timon you have the you have the most beautiful hockey hair do you play hockey and I didn't play hockey I was so mad that I didn't play hockey and I couldn't say it to them and I I just shook my head no and they said oh you should play hockey and then they found out my name was T-Bone and they said like oh hockey hair hockey name you must play hockey so the next day I, I woke up and I came to my parents and I said I want to play hockey so that's how I'm here <laughs> so if they're listening to this look at you now eh? yeah yeah thank you <laughs> thank you you mentioned some names there in Ken Hall and your father and Ken's relationship. How has that um, affected your hockey? How, what kind of wisdom do you take from a guy like Ken? And obviously yeah. I read that you, you, you uh, have talked to Mike Babcock yeah. in the past as well. Yeah, so just growing up around that culture of the Red Wings and just being around the locker room and watching them in morning skates, we got to do we were privileged enough to do so. And uh, just like kind of just seeing their habits and just – seeing that they're doing that and they're getting paid it just made me love the game so much and want to do that so badly and you know I I obviously like you said I got input from really really wise hockey minds in this world and uh, Mike Babcock and Ken Holland they really just they kind of put a love into the game for me like just make me want to do it and here I am now How important was it for you to you made the decision to come to the OHL how important was it that it was Saginaw that got your rights? I mean I've we're obviously not too far away home. We're just about an hour away, and uh, we've. I've. My father actually knows knew that one of the owners, uh, Craig Goslin, also with Ken Holland and that kind of friend group, they golf together. And uh, I, I've been coming down for visits uh, 
since only for the last couple of years and you know we just kind of made the decision that if it was going to be anywhere it was going to be here it's just this is just such a first class organization from the management to the coaching staff to even the team so it was just such an easy uh easy choice and i think it's really gonna it's really gonna work out and i love it so far yeah how have you found the transition i i love it i love the ohl i love the ohl game games like uh i love the routine that you get to build you know coming going to school you know coming right from the rink and then like going right from school to the rink like i just love the routine that i'm building and i'm it's just like i can't wait for the season to keep going on dave drinkle said that during training camp it was uh glaring to him that there were times during drills where cole perfetti would be on one end and you would jump to the front of the line to go against him was that something you consciously did yeah, I mean, I still do that now. Like, uh, I try to jump in line with, with just all, like, the tough players to go against. I mean, but uh, going up against Cole Perfetti was actually in prospects camp. You know, I, you know, you don't really get to do that every day. So I really tried to do that, and it was just a blast. And just trying to shut down players that good, it's really going to translate into your game. So, like, it's just something that I didn't want to pass up on, and it was just a blast. You mentioned you have three older sisters. I know your oldest one's very close to you. Why? She's actually a very low-functioning autistic, and uh, she actually, just two weeks ago, she moved out of her house into, like, kind of a group home. So uh, she's been really close to our family, and uh, she just motivates me just to go out there and play for her because she, uh, you know, she's not as fortunate as all of us. We don't get, she doesn't get to do what we get to do. So I just try to go out there and, and uh, play and do, and just live my life through her, you know, because uh, she's one of our angels into this world, and I just... I live through her, and I love her so much. I love it. Lastly, what's the game plan here against Kitchener? You know, this is obviously a really good team. We're just going to stick to our structure and try to play our game. And I think that if all of our boys, I think if our team really um, really wins our battles and just sticks to our tr- structure, we can get come out here with a win. T-Bone, thank you. Thank you. One thing we didn't talk about during the interview with T-Bone is when he was 12 years old, he somehow knew um, an NCAA Division I golf coach. And he was talking to him about his golf game. Well, the Division I coach says to him, well, come play, if you're such a good golfer, come play me one time. If you beat me, I'll recruit you. They go out, T-Bone tells the story, I was down one heading into 18, I birdied to tie him. He started recruiting me the next day. He had two offers to go to D1 schools and chose the OHL. I just am still trying to get over the fact that the kid was seven, seven and a half years old, I believe he said in that interview, before he ever got on skates. And the only reason he got on skates is because... His dad, who happens to know some people with the Detroit Red Wings organization, is having friends over. And there's, was it Zetterberg's and Franzen's fiance and wife playing with seven year old T Bone Cod's hair, saying, Oh, and T Bone, like the way he did that voice, you must play hockey with your heart. And he, if those ladies are going to play with my hair, I'm starting hockey the next day. Get me some skates. And here he is now in the Ontario Hockey League. It's it's a great story. It's Even incredible. the golf story, his dad's gone. He just starts swinging clubs, and his mother's like, oh, my gosh, this kid's a natural. Um, I I also loved it. There's a story of when he started playing hockey. So he, after the Franzen and Zetterberg's fiancé and wife thing, his dad, he, he says to his dad, I want to play hockey. So his dad goes and gets him suited up with gear and takes him to, like, one of those pre-skates. And I guess T-Bone is like Bambi. He's not having it at all. Struggling. He's falling down everywhere. There's other people skating around by themselves. And then as the coach comes over and starts to talk to T-Bone, and then they give him like one of the push cart things on the ice, and he's kind of getting it. And his dad's like, all right, well, this not quite the natural that he is at golf. This is going to be like a one and done. So his dad left for a bit and came back, and all of a sudden T-Bone's got a stick in his hand, and he's cruising around the ice by himself. And then he's shooting a puck by himself, and he's doing a really good job at shooting that puck. In one practice, T-Bone went from Bambi to skating around freewheeling by himself as one of the best skaters on the ice with a stick in his hand, firing pucks. It's insane. I want to take this kid and just see what sport he's not good at. We have talked to 20-year-olds in the Ontario Hockey League that give us less than T-Bone Cod just gave Poper in that interview. Lots of fun. And I just I want to stress this because players around the league, we know you're 
checking in on this little podcast from time to time. Here's the new bar. We want to have some fun with this. We want to profile you and you know share some stories about your journey to the Ontario Hockey League and who knows where the journey goes next. So, again, that's where the bar just got set. And a quick nod to his parents. He comes out of the room. He was told he, there was somebody out there waiting to interview him. I took two steps towards him, and I said, T-Bone. And he took off his hat, and he shook my hand. He didn't put his hat back on until after the interview was complete. That kind of stuff wouldn't bother me if he wore his hat. It wouldn't bother me if he had a ski mask on. But I just think he was raised with that type of respect and to show other people respect. And if that's a form of respect that he was trying to show, I appreciate it because I recognized it. It's not needed by any means. I'm just a beer rep full time and a guy that gets paid to watch hockey. But it was nice to see that, uh, you know, that he's one of those, he's a good kid and you could really see it from T-Bone. I love it. Kicking it old school a little bit. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast. We are, as mentioned, in Ottawa on a road trip that we'll see Rangers and 67s on Friday night and Rangers and Frontenacs in Kingston on Saturday. I can promise you this much right now. Next week on the Farwell and Pope podcast, we will have a feature interview with Joseph Gareffa because there's no way come heck or high water that we will miss the opportunity to talk to Joey G O N E. See what I did there? I, it took me a second. I did. G-O-N-E. It's too early for that, man. We'll catch up with him at the rink. But can we just mention that real quick? So we're coming out of dinner tonight. I took you half a second to pick up Joey G-O-N-E. And somebody says to me, I won't tell you who, says Farwell. You know, you could probably set the record for the world's longest headstand. I don't know what this means, but I get the sense it's supposed to be a riddle. If you know Farwell and Pope at gmail.com or tweet me at farwell underscore ohl they say it has nothing to do with my height which which was my first thought I, I might get the answer sometime this weekend i have no idea or your head there's nothing to do with your head did they say that they didn't say that oh well, i guess we'll try to get ahead of the game this weekend ao all right Gareffa next week and more stuff for now <laughs> i'm farwell and i'm pope and that is the farwell and pope podcast that's a wrap on this edition of the farwell and pope podcast your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.